About, uh, about five years ago, my parents invested in a fifth wheel. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece of equipment that they are using to the fullest. And when they purchased it, uh, there were two revelations for me. The, the first one, of course, was that it was a miraculous moment. Because when I was growing up, you could not have paid my mother a million dollars to go camping. Like that, that was so far away from who she was. Now my dad, in his wisdom, didn't go buy a tent. He bought a beautiful fifth wheel, right? There's a house on the back of his truck. So it was a miracle, first revelation, miraculous moment for my mom. The second one was, is that my inheritance is now on the back of my dad's truck. I remember talking to him a little bit about it, like, hey, it's really nice. That's a really nice, nice fifth wheel you bought there. Like, what's that, what's that run, you know? And you could see the sort of wheels working in my dad, like, why are you asking? You know, it's like, because, you know, I just, I just sort of see my future on the back of the truck. And my parents have been saying, really, since I was young, that I shouldn't expect an inheritance. Like, they're going to spend it all, right? If they, they do it right, they'll spend all the inheritance that I would have had, right? So, but, but here's the thing. Peter, in this first letter that he writes to Christians, he wants us to grab a hold of an inheritance, and to understand what that inheritance is and that it won't get spent on a fifth wheel. What we learned last week, what we learned last week is that we, friends, we are chosen sojourners. We are known personally by our Heavenly Father before the foundations of the world, and we are chosen to be a part of his family with all of its blessings and privileges. And at the same time, we learned last week, the same time we, we are temporary residents here, that we are designed for a home where there is no brokenness and pain and shame and guilt, that this world that we inhabit at present is not our home. It is only temporary. And because that is true, the pain that we experience, the brokenness, the hurt, the shame, the guilt, all of that is temporary too. And yet, last week, Peter, Peter reminds us that, that all of those experiences of brokenness, of hurt, of pain, all of those are tools that God uses for our sanctification. These are tools that God uses so that we can become more and more like Jesus. They are tools that God uses so that we might inhabit and relish in the abundant life, which, friends, we will find when we walk in obedience, when we walk straight and true. And all of that, last week, all of that is written all of that is written to, to give us encouragement. Right? Peter writes that first letter to followers of Jesus who are being challenged by the culture, who are being ridiculed for their faith, who are being maligned, who are even persecuted because they believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And Peter, Peter is writing to them to encourage them, right? to root them in hope, and, and to place their suffering in the context of God's grander story. No doubt, this 
is a letter that not only those early hearers needed to hear, but that you and I need to hear as well. And so last week, last week I encouraged you to read the letter of 1 Peter, to read it and to read it again and to read it again. And I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that you did that. Now, if you weren't, for whatever reason, able to sit down and read it, allow me to encourage you again to go home this week and to read 1 Peter. It is not a long book, but it is so filled, so filled with hope and encouragement for those of us who are walking in a culture that feels to be putting its pressure on you and me. So go home and make sure to read it so that God's spirit can can massage that message of hope into your spirit as well. Now, last week, last week, Peter said a lot in very little. If you were here last week, we spent all of our time, all 27 minutes of it, on two verses, right? A lot of things in two verses only. But this week, today, today we cover a lot of ground. So you're just going to have to really hang on tight to make sure that you get all of the guts that are in this fairly lengthy session. And so Peter, Peter today is kind of a primer. Peter today is going to bring into clarity the source of our living hope. And then he's going to answer the so what question, right? So what does it mean then to live in that living hope, all right? So we're going to get after it. You need a Bible. Hopefully you brought your own so that you could underline it and, you know, highlight it and write notes in it. If you didn't, there's a Bible here that you can use as well. And we're going to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse three, because we did two, two verses last week, third verse here, we're gonna kick off. So first Peter chapter one, starting at verse three. Here's what Peter writes. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're gonna pause here. I promise I won't, I won't stop every seven, every seven words. Uh, but, but, but it is interesting. It is interesting that Peter's opening posture, right? his opening posture is one of praise. The opening posture is one of praise. Using a well-worn phrase of the Old Testament, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord, right? Or blessed be, blessed are you, O Lord God. Right? Listen, I'm curious, how many of you uh, have, have gotten to the, to like the early or maybe late afternoon and your attitude has moved from joyful, which is where it began, to cranky? I mean, you can own it. It's okay. The late afternoon, right? They're, they're come, some of you are looking at your spouse or your partner who's in the, not, I'm not talking about them, you, right? Did you move from joyful to cranky? There's just a time of day where that happens, where we began in a place of joy and then we've moved ultimately to grumpiness, right? Now, there is a remedy, by the way, there is a remedy for that grumpiness and it's a remedy that we have known for most of our lives. In fact, in fact, parents, when reacting to their children's grumpiness, often ask the same two questions, right? The first one is, are you hungry? And the second one is, are you tired? Right? It's the same two questions because we know ultimately, somewhere we know that some food and a nap are powerful, 
Uh, There's a contemporary theologian who also happens to be a mother. Uh, Her name is Joy Marie Clarkson. And she talks in her blog, she talks about a time in the Old Testament when the prophet Elijah says to God, God, I'm so mad. I'm so mad and so frustrated, I want to die. He's moved from joy, right, to grumpiness. Like that, that's what's happened with the prophet Elijah. And God says, this is brilliant, God says, why don't you have something to eat and take a little rest? And the scripture says, the scripture says, so Elijah slept and he ate and then decided that things weren't so bad. Right? A snack and a nap. Spiritual power. Now, Peter, Peter is doing the same thing. He's not talking about a nap or a snack, but by beginning this section in praise, he's reminding his readers He's reminding you and me that praise, that praise is a helpful remedy to those of us who feel weighed down by the world. Praise is a helpful remedy for those of us who feel weighed down or discouraged by the world. See, when our hearts, friends, when our hearts are heavy, when we feel the weight of the brokenness around us, it is right and good to proclaim that our Heavenly Father is good. It is right and good to proclaim that He is sovereign, that He provides abundantly for His children, that He forgives our sins, that He protects us from all that seeks to harm us, that He delivers us from ourselves and from evil and the evil one. This is, by the way, one of the reasons that we must be a part of a good Christian community. We need one another. We need other people to proclaim these truths to us. You know, when we gather together in worship and we begin that worship in praise, we listen to all of the voices in this room reminding us of what is true. We did this earlier, but let's just do it again. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. He's so good to me. Praise is the posture in which to begin, especially when we feel weighed down by the world. Now that that praise, the reminder that God is good, it doesn't take away the hardships. In fact, you might have to endure them even yet this afternoon. But that praise begins to crack the darkness with his marvelous light. So when we praise and proclaim this truth, even, even friends, even when we are experiencing hardship, it moves our hearts toward hope. This morning we're asking the question, what is the source of that hope? What is the source of that hope? So we're gonna get back into the scripture here. We're gonna get back into verse three, part B. Verse three, uh, part B, right? Here it goes. Uh, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 
and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And in all of this, you will rejoice. Now, I want to take just a moment here because uh, what's written here, I think, is, is very, very good. I said this last week, and I, I wasn't kicked out of the church, so I feel really good about this. Uh, nobody sent me an email, not even the district president of Michigan, but I, but I noted that potentially, potentially, the editors of the new international version, the version that we read most often, uh, put a comma in the wrong spot. Like, I, I just think they didn't do it Right, and there are some better translations out there to help us understand. And again, again, I'm not sure that the editors of the NIV got all of the nuance in these particular words. And so I'm, I'm providing just one more translation for us this morning that I think is actually just a little bit closer. So allow me to read it one more time, but from this translation in particular. It says, according to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice. Now, there are lots of of things here. First, if you're keeping notes, if you're writing these things down, first, the source, the source of our hope is a gift. It is according to his great mercy. Right? We have hope not because of something that we do or something that we produce or something that we accomplish, but solely solely out of our Heavenly Father's mercy, and not just mercy, but out of His, what? Great mercy. The word here is referencing an Old Testament word, which means steadfast love. Our hope does not rest in our abilities to conjure up feelings or to get things done, but rather our hope rests in the steadfast love, in the great mercy of our Father, who, Peter says, who, Peter says, has caused us to be born again. The NIV has, has given us new birth. He's given us new birth. And here, he has caused us to be born again. I think, I think the Greek word here has a really active nuance that this translation captures, that out of this gift, he has caused us, right? He's taken an, an active role in our birth. In the same way that a father takes an active role in the birth of their own child, we are caused. It is God's action that causes us to be born anew. Now, I'm not going to diagram a sentence, though I, I suspect some of you might actually enjoy if we diagram a sentence, but I'm not going to uh, do that. But I want to draw our attention uh, to this phrase, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here's why, is because it modifies, it modifies, or it adds to, if you will, it modifies 
being born again or being caused to be born again. So, so what do I mean? Let me, let me try to clear it up here. Because God loves us steadfastly, because he has great mercy for us, he has caused us to be born again. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's how. You said we've, we've said it once, Pastor, and I, Pastor Adam and I, we've said this, we said it once, we said it twice, probably said it a million times, but it is worth repeating. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. You see, Peter understands that in our baptisms, we are miraculously connected to the resurrection of Jesus, through which, through which, you and I will have eternal life, that we will live with him forever. But not, not only that life to come, the resurrection gives us new life today. We will have resurrected bodies at a time in the future, but right now we have resurrected spirits. Peter understands that when we are connected to the baptism, we are connected to the Christ's resurrection, and it is that resurrection which has caused us to be born again. This, friends, this is our inheritance. And Peter says, we are born into it. And that inheritance is imperishable. (laughs) Now that word imperishable, if you did like a search in the New Testament, that word is reserved for heavenly things only. So when you look through the New Testament, you'll see that it modifies either God or God's word or resurrection bodies. This is the only other place in the New Testament where it modifies something else. And that modification is inheritance. It is imperishable in the same way that God can't perish or God's word can't perish or resurrected bodies can't perish. This inheritance is imperishable. It will never go away. It is also, Peter says, undefiled. It it can't be uh, spoiled. I remember when I was in fifth grade, I was having hot lunch, and when you had hot lunch, you purchased one of those little uh, small cartons of milk. You you know which ones I'm talking about, right? The ones that are like impossible to open, but then when you open it, you drink from it. It's that weird kind of flavor of cardboard and glue and milk all together, right? Like, that's awesome, right? So I, I remember, right, ordering that milk and not having enough time, for whatever reason, not having enough time to drink it all before lunch ended. And so in my brilliant fifth grade mind, I just closed it back up and put it in my desk. And then I promptly forgot about it for several weeks. Now, I don't know know if you know this, but if you leave milk out for several weeks, uh, there is a, um, there's an aroma that is not pleasing to the Lord or to anybody around you. And obviously I knew that whatever that spoiled smell was, it was emanating right from the place where I was residing in that classroom. And I was doing my best, friends, I was doing my best to ignore the smell. It was all the people around me who wouldn't ignore the smell, right? Eventually, eventually I had to take that carton out of my desk, that small, warm, putrid smelling milk out of my desk, and walk the 10 steps of shame to the trash can where I had to put it in. And to this day, to this day, the smell of spoiled milk, it does make me twitch just ever so 
slightly, right? Peter is saying, right? Peter is saying, there is nothing, there is nothing that can spoil this inheritance. Not time, not circumstance, not failure, not sin. It cannot be defiled. It is pure, and it never goes away. And unlike everything around us, it will never fade. You see, Peter, Peter is comparing this inheritance, right, this inheritance which, which doesn't perish, which isn't spoiled, which doesn't fade. He's comparing that to the experience of the world around us uh, in which, right, things are constantly breaking down. Things are constantly being spoiled. Things are constantly fading into an oblivion, right? We have an inheritance that will do none of those things. And Peter says, we are guarded. <laughs> we are guarded by God's power until the coming of Jesus again. That inheritance kept in heaven for us, for you and me being guarded by God's power until his coming when you and I will taste salvation in its fullness. That, friends, all of that, all of that is our living hope. Now, friends, I want to catch just this moment. Peter says at the end of verse 6, in all of this, and he's talking about this living hope that we have, that we've been guarded in all of this. In all of this, you rejoice. Even though, Peter would go on to say, even though now you have to suffer grief of many trials. Because we possess an inheritance that can never go away, never is spoiled, doesn't fade. Because that is our living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter is saying, you will have joy even though you will have to endure hardship and trials. About 12 years ago, I met a man named Nathan. Nathan is a youth worker uh, at a church in Katy, Texas. And he had gotten connected to an organization and through that organization was given two years of coaching. And as I believe his luck would have it, he had me as a coach for two years. And it was an incredible time of growing him and I together, learning about one another and learning about the life that we live. And very early on, Nathan let me know that a, that a part of his life was his son Sam. Now, Sam, at the time, was about four years old, and Sam had been born with a disorder that would not allow him to live past 15. And I, I remember in that early conversation, just feeling the weight of Nathan trying to share that story about Sam. Now, what's amazing, friends, what's amazing is over the two years of getting to know Nathan and his wife, friends, they, they had a particular kind of joy. I, and I remember thinking to myself, like, how, how do you have this kind of joy? How is it possible carrying the weight that you have to carry, that you can have this, this joy that in many ways, quite honestly, was infectious? And I remember Nathan just saying to me, he's like, Brian, we're, we're just not worried. We're not worried. We, we know where Sam's going. 
See, he has an inheritance. It's his. And it doesn't change based on the disorder that he has. It never goes away. It never fades. I guess that's, <laughs> that's how we have joy. No, it's not that it wasn't hard. It was quite hard. And Nathan would tell you that it was incredibly hard. And yet, yet there was a joy deep in his heart. About six months ago, Sam died. Not long after his 15th birthday. I remember very quickly calling Nathan and just trying to sit with him in pain, man. I was just like, bro, like, it sucks, man. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Right? But I'm rejoicing today, too. Because Sam has his inheritance. It's his now. And he's perfected. See, Peter understands that in this world in which we live, there will be challenges and trials and struggles and hardships. But Peter wants us to hold on to an inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. He wants us to hold on to something that, that the world can't take away, that doesn't fade and can't be spoiled, and it is yours. It is yours out of God's great gift, out of his great mercy, out of his steadfast love for you and for me. Even though, Peter says, you will suffer grief and all kinds of trials, you rejoice. Friends, if, if we want to give a witness to the world about our faith, and what it means to be followers of Jesus. Perhaps our first witness is one of praise. And our second witness is how it is we can possess joy in the midst of struggles because of what we know, because of what is true, because of what is ours in Christ Jesus, this hope, this living hope that's being guarded for us by God's power. See, friends, a day is coming. A day is coming when Christ will come again and we will all inherit what he is guarding for you and for me. And between now and then, between now and then, you and I walk in this world as sojourners, chosen by our Father to walk as light, to hang on to hope, so as we encounter the culture around us, as we continue to walk through this text, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus today and every day. Amen? And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, may guard and keep our hearts in Christ Jesus today and every day. Amen.